Welcome to the Ethical Conversations podcast. Today I'm chatting with Melissa Watt about transparency, fashion revolution, greenwashing and sustainable fashion. Melissa is a freelance journalist who writes about sustainable fashion and has an amazing newsletter all about ethical fashion called Not What It Seems, which is linked in the description. You can find Mel on melissawatt.co.uk and on Instagram, melissawatt with four T's. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Ethical Conversations podcast. So I'm here with Melissa. How are you today? Hello, I'm very good. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm really excited to chat about this because it's been in the news quite a bit recently, transparency, what that actually means, kind of in sustainability with fashion brands. I actually kind of found you through the article that you wrote about the H&M transparency, fashion rev, greenwashing. And I mean, that's got quite a lot of traction in the article. You had a lot of big names in this space. Yeah, that's surprising. Right, <laughs> like Asia Barber. And then I think yesterday or today, I saw like Bird quoted you in there on a post. That I, you know, you're everywhere cool. at the moment. <laughs> I know, I didn't know I was a name worth knowing, but here we are. <laughs> so yeah, can you tell us a bit about your sustainability journey and what, what got you writing about it? So I guess growing up, I never had that much like disposable income. And so whenever I did have a chance to get clothes, I was always buying it from the cheapest stores. So Primark and New Look, probably H&M too. Um, and as I was growing up, you know, you have your compulsory geography lessons and you learn about for example the Nike sweatshops um but I at the time I was never able to sort of a crudely out of sight out of mind issue and I never really understood my involvement in that it wasn't until such a cliche but I saw the true cost Mm -hmm. that I started to piece all these little bits of information together and I realized wow like myself as a consumer I might not be able to see the impacts I'm having but they're definitely there and so I was also I just turned vegan and I think that naturally exposes you to a lot of like sustainability and ethical people and so I came across like Venetia Falconer and Aja Barber and once you sort of know the truth and you fully connect to your own habits I think it's so hard to then not do anything and I thought you know what I'm just going to go cold turkey I'm not gonna buy any fast fashion and I mean I have slipped up once or twice but mostly for the most part of the last three years or so I haven't and since then I've always wanted to sort of write and I was like well why don't I just write about the things that really impassion me and the things that I'm constantly exposed to so I thought if I can use my platform for anything I'm gonna write that because I imagine there's so many people that were like me and mm-hmm. sort of don't put two and two together and so if my writing can change the opinion of one person per piece then I think that's the job worth doing. Yeah definitely and it is really easy because everyone knows like about Primark and how they clearly and I feel like a few years ago they had like a factory collapse and stuff like that everyone knows that but just ignore it like ignorance is bliss and Mm -hmm. that's the same for me as well I've had lots of conversations where people have been like yeah well I didn't really see it and I kind of knew it was wrong but I kind of just wanted new colours anyway and did you find it difficult being a student and being around younger people who generally do consume a lot more fast fashion and did you find it difficult to just stop buying fast fashion? I guess in a way because never really having the money to buy clothes beforehand and then I have this student loan which is definitely not supposed to be spent on clothes but then this is 
sort of the time I was introduced to Pretty Little Thing and Misguided and I was like oh you know I have a party or a club night coming up I obviously need a new outfit for that and I can get next day delivery and it became this cycle and you have so many more sociable events when you go to uni anyway but I didn't necessarily find it hard when I switched because I study in Cornwall and there's not much down there <laughs> so it's beautiful but there's not much retail there and so I don't really find myself in that environment anymore but funnily enough the two times I to my knowledge I've slipped up I've been in a shop mm-hmm. and I think that's really like testament to how when you're in those environments everything is engineered to want to make you buy and the same with online but I unsubscribed from all the newsletters I banned PayPal and when you sit scrolling for hours and you put in your basket and then you have to fill out all your card details it's just such a hassle and so I thought you know what it's not worth it and also I've always been a big lover of charity shopping but never really understood the sustainable benefits of it and so I fell back in love with that and so Depop or charity shopping I just really haven't missed it that much to be honest so kind of moving on to transparency what does that actually mean particularly within the fashion industry so I think transparency is all about openness and honesty so it's going to be retailers and brands both being able to trace all of the different components of their supply chains, supply chains which since the onset of globalization are inherently fractured and spread across thousands of different factories. So they need to be able to trace who's making their clothes in what conditions of wear, and then they need to be transparent about that. So in that case, transparency is about disclosing about their business practices, their goals, and how they are measuring their progress for whatever goals they've set themselves. So Transparency literally just means being open and honest about what you're doing, whereas other people try to make it a lot more than that, yeah. than what it is. And why is it important? Why is it important for all brands, not just brands that are calling themselves sustainable and ethical, to be transparent? I think the turning point in sort of mainstream awareness but you know after crisis happened people long forget about them but at the time when the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened in 2013 no one knew who was producing there so part of the search effort actually involved rummaging through the rubble to find incriminating clothing labels and so they were from the likes of Primark and Mango and Matalan and brands themselves said that they weren't aware that their work had been produced there because often they outsourced their work to various factories across the supply chain and those individual factories often subcontract again and so it's this massive spider web so the brands themselves didn't even know who was producing there and I think that really spoke to the fact that brands need to know exactly who is producing their clothes and where it's being produced because without that you can't ensure safe practice and a lot of dodgy things will just go under the radar yeah so have you do you think that brands have been more transparent since rana plaza do you think they've been forced into it in a way i mean i think 
at least in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. there has been a lot of progress in terms of uh, sort of the actual factory conditions. So you had a, two main um, accords and alliances, different groups that actually, interestingly enough, their contracts are, or their pledges, whatever, are ending this year. And that made these big brands accountable for sort of what sort of conditions the factories in Bangladesh were, which incentivized the factory owners to sort of invest in uh, health and safety equipment and whatnot. But that's only one side of it. And even though that's great, for example, the wages haven't kept up with inflation or anything like that. So I feel like in Bangladesh, where the epicenter of that was, they have. And I think brands have definitely shown a trend to be more transparent mm -hmm. or being transparent about what they want to improve on. But that is the first and minimal step. They never create infrastructure or means to measure their progress and therefore they don't need to be held accountable so they feel like just saying it makes it okay when obviously that's not the reality but of course a lot of brands aren't transparent about nearly as enough things as they want to be mm -hmm. so it's I, I reckon there has been some improvement because there has been increased demand for it but it, it hasn't met the demand nearly as much and how can brands be more transparent and how can we push them for that change? So brands need to have full awareness of their supply chain and their labour practices. And a really good way to sort of measure this is to have, I guess, a progress report or a environmental report or a business report each year, which clearly states uh, what they've been doing um, how they wish to improve, whether they've had any achievements, whether they've had any setbacks, um, factory names, factory hazards. Um, Birdsong are really great for this because they just did an impact report and they really went into so much detail because they are trying to empower local women in, I think it's East London, and they did a really good job of measuring how they helped them. They did surveys um, and the employees got to actually have a say which I understand is obviously going to be a lot harder for bigger brands but they really need to especially if they have a report it kind of forces them periodically to look and see what's happening and then for consumers or people like us I think a really great way is Fashion Revolution have a campaign who in my clothes and more recently what's in my clothes and so if we are actually talking to these brands and they see an increase in such demands for them it would be economically viable to respond to that and see okay this is what our customers want so we're going to start doing it and um, for example I saw a brand the other day on Instagram that I really liked but they used all these buzzwords. But when I went on their website, I couldn't find anything. And so I messaged them because they were a smaller brand. And they were like, I've never thought to put that stuff on my website. But here's what we do. And I was like, do you know what? That's really transparent and really great. And just me messaging them, they think, OK, here's how we can cater to a more diverse and more conscious audience, if you will. And so we can say a lot, um, but the bigger the brand, you know, the longer they've been making these profits and um, racing to the bottom. So the impact is questionable. But I think as an individual, you can feel kind of disempowered. Mm -hmm. But if we all did that one thing as a collective, I, I do think it could have an impact.
Yeah. And do you think that a brand can be sustainable without transparency? How important are they to kind of go together? I think no. I don't think they can be because I think if you're not being transparent, then one, you've probably got something to hide. There's a reason you're not telling people about your businesses and that's probably because they're not ethical and they're not sustainable. And also I think if you're not being transparent, then you probably know to some extent what your business practices are, but if you don't have the means to tell people about all your business practices, the chances are that you're not fully aware of everything that's going on. And so I think you need transparency because that's very much linked with traceability and so if you can be transparent you know everything you need to know about your business its faults and all and how you can turn that around and be more sustainable and I think without that you can't which is why it's a really important first step but that's all it is without action without any follow-up it is quite meaningless yeah and do you think you mentioned earlier like a brand using buzzwords do you think that that is becoming increasingly popular as a way greenwash consumers by just saying oh we're this we're that but what does that actually mean and people that maybe aren't in the sphere of sustainable fashion they just see that and they think oh well that's fine because I know my friend she messaged me she was like oh well I saw that um H&M said that they were transparent so but you always say that they're not sustainable so what does that actually mean yeah it's so true and I think sometimes you forget you're in an echo chamber Mm -hmm. and you're surrounded by all the same people when you you know you take for granted that what you know is what everyone else knows and Ajababa was one of the first to point this out but there seems to be mainstream literacy when it comes to sustainability and though it's always been there as a mainstream movement, it's only really gained traction in the last decade or so. And so as it's come to prominence so rapidly, it's introduced so many new terms that the average consumer is just not equipped to understand. And so they can't read between the lines or they can't tell the difference between transparency or sustainability. And here's where H&M was really clever because they said, we're the most transparent brand in the world, which would have the effect of incentivizing their most loyal customers to buy into the brand with the knowledge or comfort that they are supposedly sustainable. And it was the same with the headlines because we have these accounts, but not everyone follows us. And so they see really big uh, publications like The Guardian or The Metro, and it says H&M, most transparent brand in the world, H&M on top, and that's skim red and then you just go on about your lives you're going to internalize that thinking that they're so much better and something that they're not and so I I really think that's an issue but it's not just with transparency and sustainability it's with biodegradable it's with organic it's with natural all these really great words are, are sometimes used interchangeably and if they are and people aren't very vigilant about what scenarios and context they apply them in people get confused and they just think that they're all part of this same thing and they are to an extent of course they all relate to each other but they have very distinct meanings Mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of people are unable to do that and the worst offenders like H&M are capitalizing on that literacy almost using words as a weapon just to push their own agenda Um, and it's us the 
people that are lucky enough and privileged enough to know the difference that has to go into you know the comments and try and educate people and try and say hang on that's not what that means yeah and do you think that's the same with like the conscious collections because it's really easy for people to kind of just be like oh well it's organic cotton so it's sustainable so it kind of removes the guilt from yeah when they buy and I mean in the past I've definitely bought from a conscious like an eco collection before I kind of got into sustainability and thought oh well yeah it's it's sustainable so it's fine and do you think that's another way that people are being greenwashed and how can we not only educate people about it but how can consumers who maybe aren't in the sphere know that that just isn't sustainable when all they're being told is oh well, it's organic it's sustainable it's ethical blah 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 as the name suggests well you know you've got your vegan uh pineapple leather and whatnot um all really beige ugly expensive stuff if you ask me but as a standalone collection and to almost separate it from your main stuff it mm. kind of elevates it to be this sustainable collection which is not because H&M promised in in 2013 H&M promised that it would pay 850,000 of its garment workers a living wage by 2018 now spoiler alert that hasn't happened and so if you're the people that are making that collection aren't making a living wage and are very likely producing it in awful conditions how does that even make it conscious? Who is it conscious for? Because I just have this horrible image in my head. It's the same with feminism tops of them producing this and seeing how it's being marketed and just being this invisible pair of hands behind that garment and thinking, well, that's not very conscious. But when it comes to spotting greenwashing the brands are very clever in that the onus is on the consumer to do their research and when you are in i don't know a 15 minute queue and you've only got five minutes to try stuff on in the changing room you don't have time to pull out your phone and you know google the provenance of a material or what sort of factory conditions are in the country it was produced in and so you really have to read between the lines Mm -hmm. and so i think you can definitely do that in sort of their advertising, I think, but it's not just fashion, it's everywhere. So for example, Garnier mm-hmm. have a labelled vegan hair care range. What they're not telling you is that they're not cruelty free. And so that doesn't that kind of defeats the whole vegan purpose if animals have to be tested on it for it to be plant based. And so it is really hard. I think it's like a habit. You sort of train your eye. You for me, I look out for natural imagery. I look out for buzzwords, so biodegradable, sustainable, organic, natural. And then I also look for what I call either over-technical jargon or waffle. Because if you go on H&M's um, sustainability section on their website, for example, and you start flicking through all the different categories, you realise they say a lot of the same thing. And it's just all very vague and there's nothing concrete about it or statistical at all. And so you kind of have to, it does take time. It's really annoying, but the more you do it, the quicker you can sort of get around it. You think, okay, what is the image it's trying to present me here? And then what is it actually telling me? I am obviously really privileged to have the time and the resources to actually research these claims. But I think things to look out for are what I said and sort of the materials they're using because if it's conscious but made from synthetic fibres like polyester or nylon that are derived from plastics and have microplastics 
plastics now all that nasty stuff that's not really great if it's made locally does that apply to the entire manufacturing process or they i don't know the applique final touches done locally um all of those sort of things it's a minefield it is and it's so hard and i get caught out on it all the time and but i think you just have to be vigilant and i think if you have this awareness that mm. oh greenwash is not Greenwashing is on the rise and greenwashing is a huge thing. You can sort of train yourself. But at the same time, if consumers fall victim to it, I really don't think they're to blame because the consumer market is incredibly difficult to navigate. And so if you do buy something on greenwash potences, how are you to know? It, it, it's so hard and I, I don't really have all the answers because they're so clever in the way that they do it. But I feel like once you sort of know, then you can at least be more aware about it and look out for that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is really tricky. And like you say, it shouldn't be the consumer's responsibility to see through all this like red tape and figure everything out. But yeah, definitely. Those are some really good points and things to look at. And also I'm thinking, if like they're producing all of these clothes, it just could never be sustainable no matter what fabrics they use and how ever much they pay their workers yeah is really tricky and so recently like you mentioned before h&m called themselves the most transparent brand in the world what was your opinion on the fast rev index i know some big names like olivia firth from eco age she spoke out very negatively against it i'm not sure that's necessarily the best response but what do you think about the situation i think the tool has a place but I think going forward, fashion revolution should definitely think about what sort of message mm-hmm. they want to portray. And I think going forward, they've been really good, actually. They've taken a lot of criticism on board. And for example, they did an Instagram post responding uh, to H&M's greenwashing and saying that this is a really disappointing response. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're entirely responsible. You know, H&M took something and ran away with it. And I'd always also question the journalists that didn't sort of look at it um, more deeply. I think there are several issues with the index. For one, it does make clear that it's not a shopping guide. It does say that specifically, but how many people read the small print? I don't really know. Um, and it's not an indication of how good or bad a brand is or whether you should buy from them. I think one of the biggest obstacles is that they are to qualify to be part of the index and they are looking at 250 of the largest global brands and retailers you need to have a minimum annual turnover of 400 million Mm -hmm. and obviously that's a lot of money and that's money only big fast fashion corporations or massive um, big name designer labels are going to have and the result is that people and smaller brands that are more ethical and sustainable than half if not all of the brands that are on there are never going to make the cut and they're never going to get sort of the mainstream advertisement that they really need to propel them forward as the solution and so I think it's definitely has its place because these big corporations get away with so much and so they need to be held in account so I think it should definitely continue as it is is an almost like a piece of policy to sort of measure how much they're doing because the average score across all of the brands was 23 percent 
which is absolutely nothing. And though there was a 17% increase in global transparency since 2017, again, it's just being transparent. It's not about measuring the actual impact of their social and environmental policies it's just stating what they do so so they're basically doing the bare minimum and it it doesn't mean anything and so I think they should keep that because it'd be really good to hold those bigger brands to account and that's you know the whole mantra of fashion revolution is that if you hold people uh, if people are transparent you can hold them accountable and therefore you can achieve systemic change but that isn't enough I think they definitely need to be careful how they brand it next year um, and sort of eliminate the opportunities for brands to jump on the bandwagon and sort of make it sound like something it's not Um, and I think it'd be really worthwhile curating some sort of guide which allows you to analyze smaller brands Um, there are so many like search engines and apps out there so for example there's like good on you but um, for someone as reputable as fashion revolution who are the largest fashion organization in the world then they could do a lot better, I think, in in how they approach it to the main and how they present it to the mainstream consumer. I do think it's really useful, though. I think it's like the results are shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Pretty Little Thing got like five percent or less. There were ten brands who got zero percent, um, but they don't need all the attention. They need to be held accountable. They shouldn't be taking the spotlight at the expense of brands that started from their inception as a sustainable well-intentioned brand um, because they don't need these bigger guys don't need to profit off of you know misleading marketing anymore they, they have enough of that on their own yeah and do you think that kind of these big brands like H&M, Zara etc they could ever be sustainable Honestly, no. I think the fast fashion model can never be sustainable and it wasn't created to be that way because fast fashion is actually churning out millions of clothes at lightning speed and profit can come at any cost and it often almost always comes at the cost of garment workers and the planet. And so H&M has made its name through that profit and that's all these brands care about and so they're going to follow the tried and tested model of making as much money as possible and so for the brand to be remotely sustainable they would have to massively scale back their stock and their production because you know they have multiple seasons a year Um, some brands 52 seasons and I mean you don't need that in my opinion you only need spring and summer and autumn and winter and so one they would have to massively cut back which means they would see a loss in their profit they also need to be paying everyone a living wage which again would take a dent out of their profit Mm -hmm. and they need to be doing things that are beyond the scope of what they're capable of because if all they care about is money there's definitely money to be made in sustainability mm-hmm. but I feel like that sort of thing you need to start from scratch mm-hmm. and so I don't know it's a really tricky one because they are the high street brands that are the most popular and they're going to get the most customers for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. but um I don't know it's really interesting because obviously with the pandemic going on this is a 
unprecedented times everyone's fed up of hearing time of stasis and reflection and so if they really care this would be a really good time to think hmm when else do we have the time to restructure our business but I'm very doubtful and I think fast fashion can never be sustainable and that's all they're ever going to want to be because fast fashion sells so I guess the short answer is no. (laughs) So if you could change one thing about the fashion industry what would it be? That's a really tough one. Mm -hmm. I would change it all. (laughs) Um, No. I I think for me, one thing that really needs to change, I think if they had stricter stricter regulations Mm -hmm. and they actually policed the fashion industry a lot more, that could solve so many things. And it was so disappointing when the fixing fashion report came out and the government didn't take on a single recommendation. Mm -hmm. And it had some really powerful stuff. So, for example, if you increase the tax on a garment by 1%, Mm -hmm. then it would create a lot of revenue to ensure that clothes are disposed of responsibly and as environmentally friendly as possible and in the same way there's also been research that currently only four percent of the cost of a garment actually makes its way back to the workers but if you increase that cost of the garment by one percent then almost all garment workers would be able to make a living wage there's not actually that much change that needs to happen in that respect for massive change to happen and so the government have been so lax from everything from advertising standards which allows H&M and Zara to greenwash its consumers to things like responsible waste to labour excuse and they created laws and they created punishable regulations then what choice would brands have but to abide by them I do think there is obviously a risk of further outsourcing because you just get away from the country and go to a country with lax labour laws but I feel like if there was definitely a global effort to sort of police the fashion industry more then the ramifications would be absolutely huge yeah and even in the uk there have been reports of factories like in leicester and not even paying you know british workers a living wage yeah which you wouldn't expect at all because it is easy like you mentioned at the beginning to say oh it's happening in bangladesh it's happening in india it's not happening here it doesn't really matter to us but it is and there are lots of kind of factories whether that's the actual garment makers themselves or even packaging and stuff like that that are just not they don't have good working conditions and that's been highlighted a lot by this pandemic I think we saw kind of like mm-hmm. the slogan tease and that I saw it first and then stuff like the ASOS factory in Barnsley and stuff yeah. like that and you know I'm hoping that people will be more aware of it but I have fears that just once this is all over, people will just go back to living how they did before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sophie Benson actually wrote a really brilliant article about this, um, about sort of cognitive dissonance and how, you know, we really benefit from outside, out of mind complex. And the graphic, I always remember the graphic of the blog post is amazing because it's like a um, little post-it note. It's got a shopping list. It's like milk, bread, Um, And then garment workers don't make a living wage. And it's like, we know it, it's part of our everyday knowledge, but why why do we not internalise that? Or really like 
delve deep into that and try and, like you said, the lesser thing was shocking because I think there were people making £3.50 mm-hmm. an hour, which isn't even the minimum wage. And you always think, oh, it's so far away and it really brought it closer to home. And there's also been recent controversy in, say, like LA factors. And these are both from countries that are supposed to be the pinnacle of um liberalism and equal opportunity and prosperity and actually it's happening under our noses so if that can happen in our country what the hell can happen in countries that are miles away and beyond our recognition like it's just it's just crazy i mean i i'm the same with this pandemic i think i feel like it could go either way i feel like on the one hand it's really exposing mainstream audiences to the ills of their favorite brands and really bringing it home and they are living in a time where they're probably redefining what is essential and that's good health shelter food and it's not fashion because i have seen several people buying lots of fashion why you need to parade it around in your kitchen during this time is beyond me but most people aren't buying and i wonder how much that's gonna continue afterwards especially because of the economic like turmoil that we will emerge that will emerge out of this Mm -hmm. on the other hand people are probably itching to you know to raid primark and they they are getting like withdrawal symptoms and they just want that massive release that dopamine hit that's so fleeting Mm -hmm. and so i think it could go either way but i don't know i like to have faith it's good to hold on to (laughs) yeah but yeah, like I see some stuff on Twitter where it's like, you know, like with the pay up campaign and things like that. And people, people just don't, they just forget about it as soon as it's over. And people are saying like, oh, Primark's going to have a massive sale because I have all this stock and I cannot wait to get all these clothes for half price or whatever. And it's just crazy. But like you mentioned earlier, it's really easy for us kind of, we are in an echo chamber um, and for day to day people that aren't experiencing sustainability all the time um it is i think more people just do the ignorance is bliss thing um than i kind of thought would um especially after this pandemic but yeah it's a tricky one yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know i really don't know Mm -hmm. i guess we'll have to wait and see like like most things with coronavirus yeah 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 are you ready for some quick fire questions i think so yes okay there's only five and they're pretty easy so okay so do you prefer organic cotton or tencel tencel oat milk or soy milk oat milk reusable water bottle or a coffee keep cup reusable water bottle do you prefer traveling by train or bus train and do you prefer vintage or upcycled? Oh, vintage. Yeah. I feel like they're the, they're the common answers. Everyone says oat milk, which I'm really happy with because I don't trust anyone that prefers soy milk over oat milk. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't too. I mean, sometimes I have to it's just because it's a cheaper. But yeah. then every time I'm like, why am I putting myself through this when oat milk <laughs> exists? Literally. So yeah, thank you so much. This has been so interesting and I, I hope people will find it useful, um, especially knowing kind of what to look for and what to spot. So thank you for taking some time to chat to me. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's brilliant. Okay, well, thank you and I hope you have a nice day. You too.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ethical Conversations podcast. Make sure to check out Melissa's blog, melissawatt.co.uk, her Instagram, at melissawatt with four Ts, and her newsletter, Not What It Seems. While you're at it, why not follow the podcast on Instagram? We're at Ethical Conversations Podcast. If you've got a spare two minutes, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, share the episode to your Instagram stories, and let me know your thoughts via DM. I've been your host at Jesswick underscore and hope you'll tune in next week for some more ethical conversations. Bye for now.